Can I get you guys to stand the whole time I preach today? JK. Is this on? Hello? Jerry? Am I good? No. No, Tommy, you are not good. Oh, thanks, Seth. Can you guys hear me? Okay, I don't, maybe I just won't even use it. If you guys can hear me, then. What was that? Yeah, this other, that's why I have so many contraptions on us. Huh? Oh, now it's on. That's on my butt. What do you guys think? Let's take a vote. All right, all right, we'll use it. Now that I took it off, sweet. <laughs> all right i'm gonna try to speak with a south african accent so you guys will hear me <laughs> that'd be brutal i know it's his isn't as nice as you guys this is more harsh should i lean full into southern accent y'all won't take me seriously anymore the word of the Lord. <laughs> All right. So anyways, my name's Tom. You guys, if I haven't met you before, um, we are in the middle of a series called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, and I just want to say God has been so kind to us um, as he's recently just been revealing to us like, hey, guys, you forgot about your first love and it extended this invitation to come back to be with him, to seek him again in a whole new, fresh way. And it feels like there's some resonance there that's not just me that feels like God's speaking that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's an agreement amongst us that like, oh man, we, yeah, we kind of did miss the point there for a bit. And God is so kind to welcome us back in. And we've been learning about um, the God that Jesus reveals. Like Jesus reveals to us what God is really like, and he's good, good beyond our wildest dreams. And so um, that same gracious and merciful God also is committed, like Heather was reading to us, for us to understand the truth, the truth of who he is, the truth of who we are in him. Um, and he wants to, us to know that he's dealt with everything that has stood between us so that we could actually be together in a more deep, deeper and real union. Um, a God who sees us as we really are and isn't going anywhere, regardless of our faults and flaws and warts and sin. He's there committed to us. Um, and, and with that, God who sees, sees who we are becoming in Christ and is cheering us on along the way. So I want to do that this morning. I want to say, John Burnett, well done this morning. You did a really good job, dude. And he wasn't feeling great this morning, guys, wasn't in a great headspace, but he pushed through and you did a really good job, dude. So I appreciate your servant heart and for you just kind of leaning into that. It's a huge help to hear everyone singing. Okay. When you guys sing nice and loud, or when you guys push me into another chorus of a song, like, you know, it, it sounds strange, but it just, it really, it, I don't know, it makes me happy. It, it yeah. brings a smile to my face and helps me get through. You know? Good job. Good. Anyways, we're proud of you, dude. Thank you for leading and for being who you are. Um, guys, what we're going to talk about today is faith, and this is rooted in this whole invitation from Jesus to come follow me, come be with me. And we talked about this before, where we're, we're trying to reorient all of our lives around God and not self. So as we reorient our lives around the presence of God, the person of God, um, 
we, we realize that life is actually meant to be lived with God at the center, one of the things that we begin to experience is actually intimacy with God and other people, which is a beautiful thing. Um, what we have learned maybe in small ways or large ways, life oriented around the self is a slow march towards death. Life oriented around God is a pilgrimage to everlasting life, abundant life, and real deep love. What we believe as Christians is that God is at the very center of all reality. When we really think about it, at the core, the very center of all reality is this relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect love expressed there. And so when we think about Jesus, what we're going to talk about today is, is walking with God. Or I want to paint a picture, or I, want to, I want to give you guys a vision of what life could look like with Jesus at the center. Okay, so I want to read to you guys, this is, this is probably my favorite scripture in the New Testament, Colossians 1. And this is about Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. Listen to this. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Wow. Jesus. So today, what does intimacy with that person look like? How do we do this? Can it even be done in 2022? Is this a, a figment of our imagination? And I want to look at three people, one person from the scriptures, and then two guys who lived more recently as examples of people who lived life with God at the center. Anyone ever heard of Genesis? Let's turn there. The band, yeah. Today's sermon is about Phil Collins. So if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 5 with me. We're going to look at who is slowly be someone who's slowly becoming my, my low-key hero of the Old Testament. This guy named Enoch. Uh, there are three different passages in the whole of Scripture that mention Enoch. And even in these three small little snapshots, there is a mint of, of insight and wisdom and things that we can learn from. So I'm going to read to you guys as you're turning with me. Hopefully you're there now. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. And then we're going to turn over to Hebrews, and then there's a verse in Jude as well. So when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. What? Okay, we'll flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. He shows up in the famous Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read together there, verses 5 to 6. It's nice to hear Bibles turning. Did you find it, Trish? All right, Trish is there, we're good. It was by faith, listen up guys, it was by faith 
that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. All right, flip over to Jude. It's a bit harder to find. Close to the end of your Bible. And he shows up again. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this one. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is all we know about Enoch in the scriptures. Let's pray together that God shows us something of his heart and what we can learn from Enoch this morning, okay? Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Jesus. Come Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us this morning through uh, the scriptures. Help us understand your heart, Lord, for us as your people this morning. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that there is something emerging as we have already been singing and praying and thinking and talking together. Lord, this invitation to faith, this invitation to belief, this invitation to trust. And so, Lord, I just, I ask that I give you whatever words I've scribbled down on this page. I pray that you would multiply them, Lord. May they bring truth. May they um, bring into being things that don't exist at this moment. That's how faith works. And so, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. We ask you to have your way. Teach us what it looks like to live with you at the center, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, pretty crazy, hey guys? Enoch? So this guy talks about how he walked with God, and then all of a sudden he wasn't. Um, this week, I was, uh, I've been walking each lunch, and I was walking past the cemetery, and I was thinking about, man, all these people lived a whole life, and it's all contained on this little dash between the day they were born and the day that they died. And so much stuff happens in there. And I think about Enoch, and it's like he lived 300 years with God, in close fellowship with God. And just recently, my wife took some photos at a 50th wedding anniversary, and that's like a thing to marvel at. Like, man, they didn't get divorced. I think they still like each other. I don't know. I didn't see the pictures yet. But we marvel at things like that. And, and then this guy lived a life of 300, maybe it was even more, maybe it was before Methuselah was born, of, of intimate, close fellowship with God. Like his entire dash, I mean, he didn't even have a death date because he just gets translated into glory with God, was, was walked in close relationship with God. And I was thinking about, you know, you read people's headstones and it's like, you know, he was a great father and he, you know, whatever. There's things that people say. You guys ever get morbid and think about what, your funeral is going to be like, or what they're going to say about you. Um, but I, I think when I, when I read this, I'm like, this is what I want it to be said about me. Tom walked in fellowship with God. That's all I want. And I think if we really are honest, when we think about what we're really after in all of our lives, you could actually boil it down to that. That's what we're all created for. But so often we chase other things, the wrong things, because we think those things will fulfill us. But th that's just a beautiful statement about your life. He walked in close fellowship, which means he walks faithfully. It means he walked with. It means he pleased God. And this is a beautiful example for us. Their relationship was so faithful. 300 years is a long time. 
And so the thing that struck me is that not only did they walk together, like that, you got to be pretty compelling to, to go walk together with someone for 300 years. Do you guys remember COVID? And we, we, I remember walking with Timothy every week. And I mean, I love Timothy, but like 300 years of every day walking with Timothy and probably vice versa. He'd be like, Tom, dude, get some new stories. I've heard these. But that, there's something about like this zeal, this intimacy, this, this invitation that God is this endless ocean, this bottomless sea that we could spend every day for the rest of eternity with him. We would never come to the end of who he is. The end of understanding a new depth or a new majesty or a new richness of his love, that, that center of all reality would be revealed to us. So there's, Enoch is onto something is what I'm trying to get at, guys. We think about the, the creatures in Revelation that are over and over just falling down for all eternity, saying, holy, holy, holy. God is endless and boundless. His love is unsearchable. And this is the invitation we're extended as, as his people to walk with him. So fellowship, walking, talking, being with God, all of these things in the scriptures are synonymous to pleasing God. So we, we often as Christians, we're like, I want to live a life that pleases you, God. And then we forget all about actually being in relationship with God. We do all these functions. We do all these things. We're reading our, maybe we're even like doing the stuff or reading our Bible, but we're not doing it with God. We're doing all this stuff for God. And he's like, hey man, all, all I really want is just to go on a walk with you. All I really want is you to actually be honest. Tell me what you really think. Talk to me about your day. Explain to me why you're tired. Learn from your mistakes with me. Let's, let's laugh about that thing that was really funny. Let's cry about that thing that broke your heart. This is what the God of the universe is after with you and with me. He, he's after intimate friendship with us. If we think about walking in general and that, that, that metaphor of walking with God, it's hard to walk with someone you don't enjoy, as Timothy will tell you about our walks over COVID. <laughs> but even in that, there's this implication that, that, that God enjoyed Enoch. They, 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 there was this agreement about like, hey man, we, this is fun. We, we enjoy each other. We should do this again for the next 300 years. And so there, there's, I think we can glean from the stories we see of Enoch that, that walking with God meant that they were walking towards the same place, intimate friendship and fellowship. They were walking um, along the same path, which is this regular um, meeting place or intentionality about being with God. And, and we, he, it's, he seems to have let God set the pace because all of a sudden he's alive and then God kind of takes him because he's like, man, I, I mean, you're closer to my house than yours. You might as well just come with me now. In Amos 3.3, 3, it talks about how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? You know, anyone ever gotten a fight with their spouse about where something is? Yeah, Josh has double hands. Um, but anyways, there, there's this, we can glean so much from that. There's this, there's this enjoyment, there's this ability to, to be themselves, and there's this um, commitment to, to, to continually, regularly being together. So it says he walked with God, but it says he walked with God by faith. Because, I don't know if you guys know this or not, we can't actually see God manifest in our lives. Like, he's not walking with us like Timothy and I were walking together. So what does it look like? That's something we say often, like, hey, our walk of faith, what does that even mean? Let's turn over to Hebrews again, guys. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to just read. I'm going to read back from verse 1 all the way, and then verse 5 and 6 again. 
Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earn a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. What? Verse 5 and 6. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So Enoch's 300-year communion with God seems to be fueled by faith. Faith, we have to realize, guys, is not, is not an event or it's not a, a concept, but it is actually a lifestyle, a lifestyle of faith. Scripture talks about how the righteous shall live by faith. Um, and a simple definition of faith that I think is helpful, and I think I want us to grab a hold of this morning, is simply this. To, be, to live a lifestyle of faith is to act and live like God is telling the truth. That's all it is. A life of faith is living and acting like God is actually telling the truth. So when we read the scriptures, we take it as truth. When Heather says something like she was reading those scriptures about who we are in Christ this morning, we take that and we live like that's actually true. When Jesus says, you're forgiven, I live like I'm forgiven. I don't live like, I don't know, maybe? Let me prove to you that I'm forgiven, God. When God says to you that he is faithful and just, we live like God is actually faithful and just. That he's going to somehow at the end of all things make, make right what's gone wrong. And on and on we could go. But that's, that's what life, the life of faith is. It's learning to live and act like God is actually telling the truth. This is difficult. Anyone else have a hard time with this? But this is what we see in the lifestyle of Enoch. For 300 years, for 300 years, Enoch lived and acted like God was telling the truth. It says in here that Enoch had children. That's difficult, having children. He lived like God was telling the truth as he had children. He, it talks about him prophesying against the powers that be. He lived and acted like God was true as he was speaking the truth to power. 300 years of living like God is telling the truth. I often, I mean, if we think about that, the implications of that, when we're living a life of unfaith or without faith or whatever word you want to use there, it's actually what we're saying is, hey, God, you're a liar. You're actually lying. And, and I, I confess, I, I live my life like that more often than not. But God is not content with us staying there. And that's the invitation to intimacy is, hey, let me show you, like Josh was just saying, let me spend time with you and prove myself faithful. He's not insecure about it. He's not like, I, I need to show you that I'm good. He's like, I'm good, man. And I want you to experience it. But come, let's go for a walk. Let's talk about it. Let's work through your stuff. Let's work through why you're struggling to believe me. And let me continue to show you over and over again my faithfulness. So we need to walk by faith. Um, it, there's two things about walking by faith that we see here in verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. We all want to please God, I think, those of us in this room this morning. How do we do it? We do it through learning how to live like God is actually telling the truth. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who, who sincerely or diligently seek him. <clears throat> so two things. 
The first part there of Hebrews 11:6, we believe that God actually exists. That the scripture we read in from Colossians 1, that Jesus is the creator, the sustainer. He's the lover of my soul, that he is the goal of all creation. We learn to live like that is actually true. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of, of his command. So we learn to look to Jesus as he really is, to look to Jesus as the picture of what God is actually like, and we live like he actually does exist. What if we started to live like he is actually good? Just start, I want that to kind of be the thought that kind of permeates the rest of our time together. Like, what, what, would, what would your life look like? What would your dash look like if you believed that God was telling the truth? It's not enough to say, yeah, I believe in a God, you know, but do you believe in the God revealed in Jesus who wants to walk with you, who wants to forgive you, who wants to show you the endless possibilities of life with him and in him? So we live like he exists. And we live, like, not only does he exist, but he is actually a rewarder of those who seek him. So as we're talking about, okay, God's inviting us to return to our first love, to seek after him above everything else. You're the one thing I want, God. We have to believe and, and act as if it's true that that's not a waste of our time. That when I set my alarm earlier than I want it to be set, and I actually do get up, that God's going to reward me for that. that. That his presence is actually the thing I'm after, more than, more than sleep even. Murmurs amongst the crowd. Well, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Let him prove you wrong, okay? Let him prove you wrong. He is better. We, 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 as we seek him diligently, we realize that he's actually better than all our culture has to offer. All Instagram has to offer. All Amazon Prime Day has to offer. Jesus is better. That when, it, when it talks about in the scripture that in your presence there is fullness of joy... And that I will actually be found by you when I show up. All these promises, what would it look like if we actually lived like those were true? So that's Enoch. He lived a long time ago. But what about people a bit more recently? Two more examples. You guys doing okay? Okay. Uh, anyone ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Okay. Well, he wrote a really great book called Practicing the Presence of God. That's where we got the name of this series. And he says this, to practice the presence of God is the schooling of the soul to find its joy in the divine companionship, holding with him at all times and at every moment, humble and loving conversation. So this guy was born in 1614 in France. He was a soldier who later became a monk. And uh, his duties as a monk were kitchen duties. Uh, he made food. He made soup. He washed dishes. And then later he got gout and uh, he had to do sandal repair. I wish someone was here who isn't here who has a cat. Anyways, um, so anyways, he had a, he he had a, what he lived a normal life. He had normal duties. He had to cook and clean, and he had to fix people's sandals. And while he was doing this, he made it his goal to constantly fix his mind and attention on God. That oh man, God, if you're everywhere, if you're actually telling the truth, that in you I live and move and have my being. That means you're with me when I'm making these sandals. That means you're with me when I'm making this soup. That means you're with me when I'm having this conversation with someone who disagrees with me. So why don't I invite you in? Why don't I talk to you about the conversation I'm having as I'm having it? 
And so this book is this explanation of kind of what he discovered in this whole process of trying to live every moment with God. And it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. And so in the ordinariness of washing dishes, he learned to commune with God. He learned to live life in the very center of the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He lived life in the very heart of reality as he was doing normal stuff. As he did this, he, le- he learned that there's some things I need to kind of keep in mind as I'm living this life. He learned that as he, he kind of had a singular focus, that to keep that, that there's this purity that began to form in his life. That he sought God above all else. That he, he went after him in everything. He wanted to be intimate with him and be with him in all things. And he, he, he wanted to look to God before anything else. Any other task was happening, he wanted to look to God before he went to make the soup fix the sandal, go talk to his brothers. And he learned to pray simple prayers. It wasn't like these big elaborate things that were happening all the time where he's praying in like these huge, this huge words or anything. It was just, God, thank you for being here. Help me love this person. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you love me. And at the end of his life, it talks about like, there's this, there's this joy inexpressible that he lived constantly. He's like, in the beginning, it was difficult, but by the end, the more I practiced this, I felt God's presence all the time. It's like, he was like Enoch. It's like he was in fellowship with God, walking with God all the time. Um, He didn't settle in that process for, is he okay? Okay. Uh, For secondhand revelation. He wanted his own experience of God. As a monk, there was all kinds of people like trying to read things to him and all this stuff. And he's like, hey, I just want to be with God myself. So let's read this quote from him. Oh, there's a photo of him as well. Good hairstyle. I'm on my way there. Some of us are already there. (laughs) Can you go back one slide, Han? All right, a bit bit of a long quote, but it's good. Faith was the, so this is someone writing about Brother Lawrence. Faith was the light he took for his path. Not only did it afford him his first glimpse of God, but he never desired any other lamp to give him light in all the many ways of God. Often he has told me that all that he had heard others say, all that he had found in books, all that he had himself written, seemed savorless, dull and heavy, when compared with what faith had unfolded to him of the unspeakable riches of God and Christ Jesus. He alone can reveal himself to us. We toil and we exercise our mind in reason and in science, forgetting that therein we can only see a copy, whilst we neglect to gaze on the incomparable original." In the depths of our soul, God reveals himself. Could we but realize it? Yet we will not look there for him. We leave him to spend time on our fooleries and affect disdain at commune with him, who is ever-present, who is our king. It is not enough to know God as a theory. From what we read in books or feel some fleeting emotions of affection for him, brief as the wave of feeling or glimpse of the divine, which prompts them. Our faith must be alive, and we must make it so. And by its means, lift ourselves beyond all the passing emotions to worship the Father and Jesus Christ in all their divine perfection. This path of faith is the spirit of the church and will lead to great perfection. The point I'm trying to make, guys, is, is those of us who just live ordinary lives, we can meet with God throughout our days. Another guy, Frank Laubach. He wrote a book called Letters from a Modern Mystic. This guy was born in 1884 in Pennsylvania. He went to some Ivy League schools, went to seminary, and became a missionary in the Philippines. He was known as the apostle to the illiterates. So he developed this whole process of each one teach one, and 
I think over 60 million people have learned to read through this whole process that he discovered in fellowship with God. Just being with him, thinking about him, praying with him, trying to get his attention on him all the time. So he developed this um, idea called the game with minutes, which I mentioned about a month or so ago. And this is essentially what it is. Attempt to keep God in your mind for at least one second every minute that you're awake. Sounds simple, right? It's, it's super hard. So I'm going to read it again. Attempt to keep God in mind for at least one second every minute that you're awake. So essentially what he's doing is he's trying to implement and live out what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians about praying without ceasing. And so this guy, I just finished this book this week. He, he does, he's, he's trying this and you, you read through the ups and downs and by the end, same thing. There's this consistent practice of walking with God, living like he's telling the truth, receiving the truth from him, him becoming ever more present in our, or our, in our awareness of him. And so he says this. There are therefore three questions which we may ask. Do you believe in God? That is not getting very far. The devils believe and tremble. Second, are you acquainted with God? We are acquainted with people with whom we have had some business dealings. Third, is God your friend? Or putting this another way, do you love God? It is this third stage that is really vital. How is it to be achieved? Precisely as any friendship is achieved, by doing things together. The depth and intensity of the friendship will depend upon variety and extent and the extent to the things we do and enjoy together. Will the friendship be constant? That again depends upon the, per the permanence of our common interests and upon whether or not our interests grow into ever-widening circles so that we do not stagnate. The highest friendship demands growth. It must be progressive as life itself is progressive. Friends must walk together. They cannot long stand still together, for that means death to friendship and to life. These guys were living the Enoch way. They were living in fellowship with God. They were learning how to be friends with Jesus. Jesus has something to say about this. In John chapter 15, um, one of you know, the more famous passages of scripture, Jesus talks about this whole idea of abiding in the vine. In verse 9, though, I just want to draw our attention there. He says this, Okay, just take a second. If faith is believing that God is telling the truth, and if Jesus is God revealed to us, then let's, let's listen to these words. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Let me read that one more time. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. So a few things I want to draw our attention to. As we are doing our best to be disciples of Jesus, we're, we're learning to respond to his invitation to, hey, follow me, come be with me. Let's walk together. As we walk with God, as he leads us into reality, what we stumble into is this relationship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And that, that love that they have for each other, the perfect love that they express and embody and, and live from eternity past and forever on into the future is the very thing that is sustaining and created all that you can see. The very universe itself is upheld and finds its reality and center in the love experience between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
So one of my friends this week asked me, we were talking about, is basically the point of life to learn to be sustained by the love of God? Yes. That is the very point of our existence. And so as we follow Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, what he's bringing us into is, hey, I want you guys to see how I love my Father and how the Father loves me. And how the Spirit loves me and how I love the Spirit. And that this is actually the the center of everything. That the love we have for each other is what we want you to be a part of. And that's where he goes from there. He's like, hey, God loves God eternally and perfectly. And that same love that I have for my father and my father has for me, I have that for you. What the heck? And that's what I want to show you as we walk together. This is what I want you to understand. And then he says, he gives us a command. He says, remain in that love. Remain there. I want you to live there. I want you to stay here. I want, to, I want you to build your life here. What the heck? This, of course, is only possible through what Jesus did for us, right? Jesus coming and taking our place, taking our sin upon himself, like stretching down to the deepest darkness to come and find you and me and to bring us back out. And to say, hey, I'm going to take all your sin and shame upon myself, and I'm going to exchange that for my righteousness and my glory, my beauty. I want to give it to you. And so it talks about how we're in Christ now. We're found in him. We died with him. We've, we've been raised with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. And I have this picture I always go, I try to go back to. It's like, if I'm, sitting, if I'm in Jesus, and Jesus is in relationship with the Father that's face to face, that means I can see the Father like Jesus does. And that means he sees, the Father sees me the way he sees Jesus. And I see the Spirit the way that, like, do you understand? That's unbelievable. And that's what it seems to be saying here. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So I, I, you're in me now. I've made my home in you and, and, and you're in me and I'm in you. And I want you to live here. Remain here. Stay here. Learn to live like this is actually the deepest reality there is. So what if our dash is meant to be spent living here? What if, what if understanding and experiencing and sharing and expressing and understanding the love of God is the point of everything? What if the point of our dash is to learn what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself? What if it is to walk with him every day like Enoch did? What if it is to practice the presence of God as we're doing dishes and fixing sandals, whatever that may look like in your life, like Brother Lawrence did? What if, what if it looks like playing the game with minutes? Every one second of every minute, drawing our attention back to Jesus. And in that process, he gives us something that transforms the lives of millions of people in a really practical way. What if the point of our entire life, our entire dash, is to remain in him? I want you guys to use your imagination. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about your life moving forward. And I want to ask a few questions. Just, you don't have to answer them. But I want you just to imagine your life if these, the answers to these questions were yes. Or what would it look like? 
What would your life look like if God is really telling the truth? What would your future look like if God really is that good? What would your future look like if you really are forgiven? What would your life look like if God really does love you like he loves Jesus? What would your future look like if you believed and lived like Jesus really is coming back one day? What would your life look like if he really is in you and you are in him? And what would your future look like if he really is making all things new? What would your life look like if he really is waiting to walk with you, to surprise you, to blow your mind, to be with you all day, to heal you, to deliver you, to protect you, to laugh with you, that he's at the edge of your bed every morning waiting for you to wake up just to love on you. She's awake. He's awake. What if? So Jesus, we thank you this morning that regardless of our feelings, you are trustworthy. We ask boldly, Lord, I ask boldly, make us men and women like Enoch who walk with you, God. Those of us, Lord, who have children, young or old, we ask that they would walk with you like Enoch did. We ask that we would be a community, Lord, of people who walk with you, who fellowship with you, who are friends of God. And Lord, I ask that the the very love that you have for one another would be evident amongst the love we have for each other. It would be the same love, God. Teach us how to love each other. Teach us how to love you. And Lord, would, would you just have your way amongst us? Lord, teach us what it looks like to live by faith to believe that you actually do exist and that you're actually good and that you want relationship with us, God, and that in that you reward us and the reward is you. You are the reward, God. And so as we continue this morning, as we take communion together, would you just make yourself known to us? Would we live like we actually are forgiven? That your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us so that we may know communion with you. We love you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.